Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. No president should be able to sustain boots on the ground without congressional approval and without a clear explanation of what the mission is and what the end game is. This isn't really about the economic policy. This is about the coronavirus. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top name. We must use every tool possible to defeat this assault on women's reproductive rights. This is a steady growth that we're seeing here in our economy, you know, over the last three months. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So we have a deal on the debt ceiling. No votes to make it official, not yet, but the markets are going with it. And well, so are we. Senator Chuck Schumer accepts the offer from Senator Mitch McConnell that we talked about this time yesterday to raise the debt ceiling and pay the Treasury's bills through the month of November. And we will have the latest ahead from Capitol Hill. Talk about the way forward with Congressman Sean Kasten, Democrat from Illinois. As President Biden separately visits his districts, Kasten's district today to talk about COVID vaccine mandates. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor and Republican strategist Rick Davis and Democratic strategist Kristen Hahn, communications director at Rock Solutions. Later, we'll turn to the governor's race in Virginia, a microcosm of American politics, where the Democrat is now distancing himself from President Biden in a purple state. As we come to you live from Washington, where we do expect some votes, at least procedural ones, later on this evening to get the ball rolling, or should I say kick the can, on the debt ceiling. As Senate leaders, again, Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell announce an agreement to lift the ceiling by $480 billion, according to Bloomberg News. That would allow the Treasury to pay its bills through December 3rd, the same day government funding runs out. The definition, you might say, of kicking the can. I have some good news. We've reached an agreement on an extension of the debt ceiling through early September, and it's our hope that we can get this done uh, today. Uh, Early, what did I say? Oh, Jesus. September's passed already. Let me revise my statement. Why kick the can down the road uh, a couple of more weeks? Why create an additional layer of uncertainty? Uh, We have reached agreement on a, a, we have reached agreement to extend the debt ceiling through early December. And it's our hope that we can get this done as soon as today. I yield the floor. The pathway our Democratic colleagues have accepted will spare the American people any near-term crisis. 
We don't need to kick the can. We don't need to go through a cumbersome process. The president, the speaker, and the Democratic leader had three months' notice to do their jobs. But for two and a half months, the Democratic leaders did nothing and then complained that they were actually short on time. He's bought us uh, perhaps two months uh, to uh, work on the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill. We don't need to kick the can. I think he finally realized the gravity of the strategy. And so we kick the can with the panel on the fastest hour in politics. Welcome to Sound On, the Thursday edition. Welcome to Little Friday. Let's assemble the panel with Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis and Democratic strategist Kristen Hahn is with us, communications director at Rock Solutions, former comms director for the Blue Dog Coalition. Welcome to both of you. Glad you're here for the hour. Ahead of our conversation with Congressman Kasten, Rick Davis, I would love to hear from you at the top here on this particular deal that we're told is going to lead to legislation, is going to end up on President Biden's desk did Mitch McConnell just make life easier or more difficult for Democrats? Well, with everything with uh, Mitch McConnell, uh, <clears throat> he's going to give a little, but he's going to get a lot. Uh, and what he's really probably vying for is a real budget bill with a top line number that he can sneak higher defense spending into. And so if he has to give on something he was ultimately going to give on anyway to get what he wants, uh, I think that's the magic of this deal. And so, yeah, everybody wins. The president's going to get a higher uh, deficit uh, figure for the uh, balance of uh, most of this year. Uh, but at the end of the day, they are kicking a can to December 3rd where government money will run out and the debt ceiling will have to be put together uh, mm -hmm. with another package. And uh, it's we're going to be right back playing that music probably <laughs> in another two months. I'll save that for the meantime. But Kristen, what's your view on this? Do you feel like Elizabeth Warren, when she says Mitch McConnell caved, or do you feel like Mitch McConnell just made life more difficult? I mean, life is already difficult on Capitol Hill. So yes, it is. I don't know how much more difficult that may not be possible. No, I think, yeah, I know, right? Um, you know, I think that um, people are going to, you know, couch this decision how they want to couch this decision. I do agree that um, uh, Leader McConnell doesn't, you know, make decisions um, that don't lead to him getting something. But it was clear that the Democrats, you know, who control both the House and the Senate needed more time um, amongst themselves to figure out, um, you know, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, any reconciliation package, and that playing politics with the debt limit is something that unfortunately happens, but it's very irresponsible. Um, and ultimately, Mitch McConnell, um, you know, was was going to have to, if you want to call it cave. But um, at the end of the day, we have to raise the debt ceiling. It's not easy. People play politics with it, but we have to do it at the end of the day. So let's look at the calendar together here, Rick. We've already talked about December 3rd. That's when debt ceiling is hit again. Government funding runs out. But if we back up a little bit, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, wanted to have infrastructure and reconciliation. When things didn't work out last week, wanted to have it done by the end of the month, by Halloween, which... We already got a kick out of on the air to that, that particular day that she's chosen. But if everything goes as planned, then I guess I sound ridiculous by setting up a question like that. But if they actually got it done by the end of October, would they then have time to manage this, as Senator McConnell says, before the December 3rd deadline? 
Yeah. I mean, the reality is now that they know that they've got this coming uh, and they know what the Republicans aren't going to do, right? I mean, up until this point in time, I think there was a misconception on the part of Democratic leadership that somehow they were going to wedge Mitch McConnell into a deal uh, to pass a full-blown um, uh, uh, set aside of the the, uh, the debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. And so, so at least I think it's clearer now what needs to be done. And as Mitch McConnell said today, plenty of time to get this figured out yeah. between now and then. Uh, and they have a lot of options. I mean, the Senate parliamentarian said, okay to use reconciliation on the, the, the debt increase. Uh, they've got a lot of options on how to fund the government, and they can roll all that into a big spending bill and package it together, you know, and have an omnibus. Uh, that is likely mm-hmm. to be part of the conversation. And so in, in a month, we could be talking about a minibus in addition to the BIF <laughs> right. and in addition to the BBB. <laughs> what do you think of that, uh, Kristen? Do you just kill two birds with one stone, get it all done with reconciliation, have the government funded, have the debt ceiling taken care of so you can pay attention to the Biden agenda? Yeah, I know. You know, my friends who are working the Hill are already canceling their, their Thanksgiving and Christmas plans. So I don't, don't know, you know how quickly this will all get done. But I, yeah, I think that there will be some package, um, you know, that kind of incorporates a lot of these things. I will say that, you know, from where we, and when I say we, the, the Democrats were, at least in the House, um, were two weeks ago. We're light years away from that now in a, if you want to call it a positive direction. People are talking, you know, the caucus, even, you know, the, the moderates, more moderate members are talking to the progressive members. Um, the progressives, you know, are talking more, if you see them on television and on radio, on your show, talking more about the substance rather than sticking to this 3.5 trillion number, which was never going to happen. Um, there are going to be a lot of conversations, um, you know, over the next um, several months. But, yeah, I think that that's, that's likely, you know, the trajectory. A lot has been made about the price tag uh, here or the fact that Democrats would have to put their finger on a number if it was not a suspension of the debt ceiling but actually raising it. And as I read on the terminal, that number is $480 billion dollars. Will that actually be used against Democrats here, Rick, or a year down the road? Nobody remembers this conversation anyway. Yeah, I mean, it'll be in an ad. Uh, you can you can rest assured that will happen. Uh, but uh, you know, there's so many other big numbers in with trillions, not billions, mm-hmm. uh, that are going to be uh, discussed, uh, tax increases, spending, uh, that uh, I, I doubt if that's going to make a big splash. But it's all part of the arsenal, right? Each district is going to have different pressures on it. Uh, and so, sure. Um, I, My own view, having looked at using debt increases in the past, uh, uh, nobody likes the government spending more money than it has. So mm-hmm. it's it, it, it can be broached in a politically salient way. But there's so much on the plate right now that I would be surprised if it plays an important role in the midterms. We're kicking off with the panel today. Bloomberg Sound on with Rick Davis and Kristen Hahn. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. And, well, we may as well add another something to the plate here. You're constructing buildings for some of America's biggest companies. But you're also doing something bigger than that. You're helping us beat back COVID-19. COVID-19. President Biden leaves the Beltway today to make the case for vaccine mandates. He held an event a short time ago in the western suburbs of Chicago to highlight and applaud companies that were making good on his executive order. Those are the 100 employees or more actually requiring vaccinations or a weekly test. And he even singled out United Airlines, which, of course, made a pretty big splash with its vaccine mandate announcement, the first carrier to do so a couple of weeks ago. 
Kristen, this is just another plate that's spinning in the air here for President Biden. It's one that he looked like he was winning on. Is he behind the ball at this point? I think it's, you know, unfortunately with vaccines, um, you know, they have, it's been politicized in a way that's really unfortunate um, across the country. I think, you know, we go back to um, the different districts and how this is going to, you know, how this is going to play. Um, you know, I, I personally think it is um, a responsible thing for these companies to be doing. I like knowing that when I go into my office that my colleagues are vaccinated. Um, but, you know, it's really tough. I mean, the president's using the bully pulpit and trying to encourage people to get the vaccination that we know is safe. Um, but it is an uphill battle in a lot of in a lot of places in this country, unfortunately. Yeah, Rick, uh, United Airlines uh, and the, the CEO was there, Scott Kirby, today, highlighted by President Biden, had to fire, I believe it was 600 of its employees. Granted, it has tens of thousands, over 60,000 employees, but that's that's the, the side effect in many cases of these mandates. Absolutely. When you have a mandate, it means you don't come to work unless you've got a vaccine. And if you're not going to get vaccinated, you lose your job. And so it's a tough sell sometimes. But in this case, to get the country in the right foot, it's probably necessary. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We got Breaker on the Bloomberg as the White House makes it official, maybe what you thought you already knew. From the Deputy Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, the president, quote, the president looks forward to signing legislation to raise the debt limit when it is passed by Congress. Just have to get it to his desk is where we are at the moment. And as I read also 
on the Bloomberg. The headline, Biden leans in harder on shots in his vaccine or testing mandate. Indeed, left Washington again today. Saw the helicopter lift off the South Lawn Marine One on its way to Air Force One, which carried him to Chicago, where he spent some time in the suburbs west of the city to make the point, make the case for not only public, but also private mandates and requirements for COVID vaccines. So today, I'm calling on more employers to act. My message is require your employees to get vaccinated. With vaccinations, we're going to beat this pandemic finally. Without them, we face endless months of chaos in our hospitals, damage to our economy, and anxiety in our schools, and empty restaurants, and much less commerce. With the president today, Congressman Sean Kasten. Well, that was his district, at least one of them, where the president was traveling today. Democrat from Illinois and Congressman, it's great to have you back on Bloomberg Radio. Congratulations on the big event today. I wonder how many companies in the Chicago area are actually making good on this requirement to either get a vaccine or be tested weekly. A couple of them were highlighted today, United Airlines and the the construction firm that the president spoke to later on. That's a company with more than 2,000 workers. Is this taking hold in the Chicago area? Uh, you know, I should, I, we've seen the numbers, right? What, what have we seen? Something like 30 million new vaccines just in the last, uh, in the last few weeks since mm-hmm. these mandates have come through. And a part of that's from federal leadership. And a part of that's from leadership of, you know, companies like United um, that have, have done the right thing. I spent, I spent 20 years as a CEO. And I cannot imagine a scenario where you are sitting there, you know, with the responsibility over people's lives saying, I have the ability to make sure that my employees live and thinking that's a hard decision, right? Um, and so we're seeing companies do it. And I think what's, what's been really positive about the United News, number one, they didn't lose very many employees. But number two, a lot of people are now saying, boy, I'd like to work for United because that seems like a place I can go to work and, mm-hmm. and not get sick. So I think we're going to see a lot following from this, and I'm delighted to have the have have the uh, the current occupant of the White House using their bully pulpit for good and for supporting science and for making sure that people don't die. That's a low bar, but uh, it's welcome to have. <laughs> he called out the CEO of United Airlines, Scott Kirby, uh, who got a lot of press by implementing the first mandate or requirement in the airline business as as a major carrier, certainly. And I know there are over 60,000 employees at United, but about 600 had to be fired or were set to be fired, at least, for not taking part in the program. Do you see that as just the sort of collateral damage that comes with this or something that needs to be managed better? You know, nobody's going to be happy all the time. It's the right thing to do. It's a tiny percent of their workforce. And, you know, I'd I'd reiterate what I said before, seeing a lot of because other airline employees are now saying, I've got the choice to come to work and sit on an airplane in a congested area, and I can work for, for a company that's making me safe, or I can work for someone that isn't. So they got more, they got plenty of people who would like to fill the seats of those 600 people who decided to leave. I guess that's what counts here. Uh, I realize that uh, as I look on the, the Harvard COVID tracker, about 84,000 confirmed cases, a little more than that in your district, the, the 6th District of Illinois, Congressman. Uh, what's the trajectory that you're seeing? Do you think that we have peaked here uh, with the Delta variant? And, and are you seeing that impact of more vaccines bring the, the new caseload lower? 
Well, we've, we've seen, you know, if you're looking at that Harvard tracker, we are the most vaccinated congressional district in Illinois, um, which is great. We've been watching the same Delta, sort of the peculiar dynamics of Delta that everybody's been watching, that there's this weird thing with COVID that it seems to, every wave seems to go up and sort of crest and come back down after two months. This is no time to let up, even though we're seeing that crest come down, because we're still seeing in downstate Illinois, where, frankly, the you know, some of the voices opposing science have been a little bit too loud. Mm-hmm. But we've we've still seen in downstate Illinois a lot of hospital overcrowding that we don't have up where we are. So we got to get that under control. But but let's also remember that the Delta variant, you know, evolved in a population that was unvaccinated. And and so we have this variant that's much more contagious, seems to affect kids much more readily. And we're now fighting back that variant. And for us to make sure that this is actually the down end of COVID and not just another cycle, we got to make sure that that sort of those, those that sort of recalcitrant population that we've either not been able to reach or has been somewhat resistant gets vaccinated now because that's how we put the virus behind us and get back to the you know the economy and the country that we that we enjoyed you know a little over almost two years ago. Do you have a sense of how many vaccine holdouts are in your district, or is it impossible to count them? Um, I think that's a hard, that's not something that's easy to sample. We're at about 62% of the total population vaccinated. That's obviously, it's a much higher percent of the eligible. So, you know, we saw a surge in increased uptake once the emergency youth authorization was lifted, mm-hmm. as you'd expect, right? Because there were some people who were holding out because they were just nervous about this is the new vaccine. And that was very helpful. We're seeing a second surge right now as some of these employer mandates go through. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll soon see see a third surge, you know, once we get approval for, for younger kids to take the vaccine. Well, I ask you that. really the point where. I ask you that because some think, sorry for interrupting, that mandates risk further alienating the holdouts, Congressman. Is that a worry of yours or is, again, that that's the price of doing business here? You know, it's it's not remotely a worry, worry of mine because I think it, it, sometimes we overthink we overthink politics. Our job is to do the right thing. The right thing, the, the bare minimum right thing is to make sure that people don't die, right? And what we have seen time and time again from the current administration and from the present administration, and certainly in my own district, is that when when people in positions of leadership and authority say this is the right thing to do and we're going to do it, public will moves, right? And I think we can I think we can overthink what does the polling say right now. And lose sight of the fact that, you know, those those 600 employees who United lost, that's a much smaller fraction than the people who said that they were going to resist mandates. And, you know, when I talked to Scott Kirby today, one of the things he said was that a lot of the people who were resistant to taking the vaccine, once the vaccine was mandated, came up and said, you know what, I, I was really concerned because I'd been down some dark rabbit holes on the Internet that said that I was going to have all these side effects. And it turns yeah. out I didn't. Yeah, so right. it turns out, like, don't believe what you hear on the Internet. And and so now these people are saying, you know, just thank you. This this is him telling me, thank, thank you for pushing us to do the right thing because I was misinformed, right? And as long as we do the right thing, we don't have to second-guess ourselves. Um, so, no, I'm not I'm not worried about the backlash because I'm, I'm – quite confident that nobody wants to die of COVID. No one wants to lose a loved one to COVID, and that's going to pull it 100% to zero every time. We're joined by Congressman Sean Kasten, Democrat from Illinois, who was with President Biden today on his trip to Chicago and throughout the, the western suburbs, throughout the congressman's district where he was making the case for these mandates. I'd like to ask you, 
Congressman, while you're with us about this agreement on the debt ceiling, are you glad there's an agreement? Is this the right thing to do to pass this now and, and buy some time until December 3rd? Um, I am completely delighted to not be talking about this for 30 days, and I can't <laughs> believe we have to talk about it 30 days from now. Oh, I mean, the, we all know, you guys know, you're, you, know you, you speak to a pretty educated audience. The debt ceiling is a completely manufactured crisis. The, the fact that you know, we passed what needed to be done in the House on a straight party-line vote, and that now we're sitting here saying, do we think the Republicans can manufacture 10 votes to, to basically simply agree that the spending that they already voted on, the tax structures they already voted on, create a residual that has to be borrowed. Like, this is not complicated stuff, right? <laughs> um, I think the United States and Poland are the only two countries where we give our legislature the choice about whether or not to pay our after we have incurred those responsibilities. Yeah, right. We, we, should, we should not, we should completely take away the ability to vote on the debt ceiling. It does nothing useful for fiscal responsibility. But it becomes a tool that's used for petty political purposes. And, you know, so, yes, it sounds like the Senate is on a path to kick the can down the road for 30 days. Good, <laughs> we were just doing the can-can here. Them. They, have, they have done the, the – if they do that, which is an if, they will have done the absolute <laughs> bare minimum to keep the world's financial markets from completely collapsing. Wow. You'll forgive me if I'm not tremendously praiseworthy of them doing the bare minimum, but let's get rid of the debt ceiling, which is the right thing to do. The so fact we, that we're having We can this move on to real crises. That's exactly what Jamie Dimon said uh, in that White House event yesterday. Just get rid of it, by God, so we're not doing this every year or two. But does that give room uh, to the leadership, to Speaker Pelosi, to actually get everything else done, infrastructure and reconciliation, in time for uh, for the, well, I guess the end of this month, never mind, to deal with the debt ceiling? And I'm wondering where you are uh, with your top line. Is it going to be $2 trillion, Congressman? Um, well, you know, with respect to the debt ceiling, by taking manufactured crises away, we can work on real crises. COVID is a real crisis. Yeah. The climate crisis is a real crisis. We have to work on those things, and there's a lot of good policy work. And so, yes, we free up some you know, mental and, and you know, re- temporal resources to focus on those. With respect to you know, what we're negotiating right now, I would really stress to everybody that the size of this package is not the issue. The, we're, we're going to pay for it all. We've, we, you know, we've got a package that can pay for things. The question is, what do we want? Do we want to acknowledge the climate crisis and spend the money to fix it? Do we want to acknowledge that cutting child poverty by almost 50% in the last year is something worth continuing? Do we want to acknowledge that, that Medicare should have the right to negotiate with pharmaceuticals the same way that Blue Cross Blue Shield does and the VA does? Do we want to acknowledge that like giving people who are, depend on Medicare – um, access to dental care is a good thing. These are all the substantive pieces that are in there, giving people access to two years of community college. No one really objects to those things that I'm aware of in, in our caucus. And so the conversation about the size of this bill is really at core a debate about how do you want to pay for this? That's right. And, and people aren't saying that part out loud because that's a harder political argument to make. But it's going to cost us zero. It's going to cost us, you know, we're going to have three and a half trillion of total spending. That's three hundred fifty billion dollars a year over ten years against a five trillion dollar budget and a twenty trillion dollar economy. And oh, by the way, it's all going to be paid for, so it's really zero. The fiscal argument is not a robust argument. The question is, what are we going to do? What do we prioritize? And then, how do we make sure that we're doing that in a fiscally responsible way? And ninety, you know, as the president has said, I think ninety-six percent of our caucus agrees on how to do that. Yes. The majority have just been enough that we got to get the last 4% on board. 
Well, can you get that 4% by the end of the month like Speaker hopes? Well, my, my personal goal is is that we have to have it in place before before the, the COP26 conference in Glasgow. Okay. When I was at COP when I was at COP25, a European parliamentarian pulled me aside. This was in Madrid after the US had pulled out of Paris and said the bad things happen when the United States doesn't lead and we need your leadership. Right. And That's October 31 though is what you're saying, right? The COP is yeah, the 31st exactly. just as the speaker wants. So you can get exactly. it done by the we end of this it. month. We need to have those climate provisions in place so that the rest of the world who's become skeptical about the United States' capability to lead can look and say, I, I, I like your words, but even better, I like your feet. Yeah. And we need to show by our feet before the end of this month that we've taken meaningful action on climate change. And that's in that Build Back Better plan. Congressman Sean Kasten, Democrat from Illinois, many thanks for hanging on the line a couple extra minutes as we work our way through multiple We'll call them issues today instead of crises. Thanks for joining us on the Thursday edition. As we turn away from the madness in Washington for a moment, but we're not going very far, just across the river to quite a gubernatorial contest that's underway and one that we can probably learn a lot from as we look around the country and ahead to the midterms. This was tweeted out by the RNC, RNC Research, and there's a headline on the terminal. McAuliffe, that would be Terry McAuliffe, the Democrat, says unpopular Biden, unpopular Biden is a drag on Virginia race. The gubernatorial Democratic candidate casting the president and his party's lawmakers, as Ryan Teague Beckwith writes, as a liability in the final weeks of the campaign with polls showing a tightening race, he was in a virtual meeting with supporters when he said this. But we got to get Democrats out to vote. We are facing a lot of headwinds from Washington. As you know, the president is unpopular today, unfortunately, here in Virginia. So we have got to plow through. And that's purple Virginia, if we're still calling it that, knowing that the Washington suburbs are rather progressive. And we're joined now by Ryan Teague, back with Bloomberg National Politics reporter. It's great to have you with us here, Ryan. Is this going to be kind of a theme for this campaign and others. And you can use Virginia as the prism through which we're, we're looking at the nation here with Democrats distancing themselves from an unpopular Democratic president. Yeah, no, I'll start by saying that Biden is not that unpopular. He's underwater by about three points in Virginia in the most recent poll that I checked out. But uh, this is a contrast for McAuliffe, who, you know, a former governor, former DNC chair, very plugged in kind of Washington figure, and he's running for a second non-consecutive term. He kicked off his campaign by holding a rally with Joe Biden and by saying, you know, we Democrats, we're all of a piece here. We're all of a kind. So for him to acknowledge this, you know, it's a fairly commonplace uh, observation, but it was kind of a sign of uh, some of the concerns. He also said at a recent debate, that it was time for congressional Democrats to finish up with what he called their chitty chat and just pass the <laughs> uh, domestic policy agenda bill, the $3.5 trillion bill, or lower. Uh, and he also said that that bill was maybe too high, uh, too much spending. So those were both kind of real signs there of concern that, that it might be dragging on. Is it what Terry McAuliffe is doing wrong as well as what Glenn Youngkin is doing right, as, as you point out? He's running on a divisive Trumpian agenda, and some thought that wouldn't be working too well this year. You know, um, I, this is a very interesting test case because McAuliffe is about as close to a generic Democrat uh, 
as you can get. There's nothing really. Uh, he's kind of like Biden, uh, somebody that you're everyone's familiar with, but who's not particularly. No one's putting a Terry McAuliffe poster on their dorm room, you know, wall. So well, I hope he didn't hear um, you say that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm just saying the truth here. Right. So uh, he's he's running as basically like, hey, you like Democrats? This is a bluish state. Let's yeah. let's keep a good thing going. Um, Youngkin had a much more difficult uh, prospect before him, which is that he needed to thread the needle between a, a base that is very uh, much in love with Trump and very much uh, on his side on policies like skepticism about uh, Afghan refugees and skepticism about masks and vaccine mm-hmm. mandates. Mm-hmm. And that has made him face a lot more difficult questions about how much he supports Trump. So he's, he's struggled with just the question of like, you know, would you support Trump in the election? Or, yeah. you know, what do you like about Trump? Uh, those things have been really tricky for him. To the extent that it's working for him, though, Ryan, are you cutting the state in half? Are you eliminating the, the sort of northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. suburbs? Is it is it elsewhere in the state that Youngkin's doing well? No. So he needs to uh, the, the, the needle that he needs to thread is that he needs to get the the reddish, rural, Trumpy parts of the state to turn out. Um, but to win, he also needs to cut down on the margin in the suburbs yep. because the suburbs turn so decisively towards Democrats during the Trump years, and, and he needs to win back some of that. So if he can just shave that margin a little bit, then he can put himself within uh, winning. You've got a race. Ryan Teague Beckwith, great to talk with you, Ryan. Thanks for your reporting. Bloomberg National Politics reporter on a race that could be a microcosm for the nation as we head for the midterm. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. As we look ahead to the midterms by way of Virginia, and thanks again to Ryan for setting us up here, we reassemble the panel with the Virginia gubernatorial contest in mind. And that would be Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis with us for the hour, along with Kristen Hahn. In Sound On today, Democratic strategist, former Blue Dog Coalition, comms director, partner at Rock Solutions. Great to have you both with us. Rick Davis, you know Virginia very well. I, I would argue that you know Terry McAuliffe pretty darn well from your time in Washington. And as I read in this column, the former chair of the DNC, that's McAuliffe, distancing from the president may be a precursor as to how the party's congressional candidates will try to save themselves in next year's midterm elections. This happens both sides of the aisle when you have an unpopular president who thinks he or she is going to go to the district and save the day. Rick, the candidate doesn't always want him to come. No, and in this case, it's only getting worse. I mean, here's a state that Joe Biden beat Donald Trump by 10 points. I mean, that's a, that usually is a pretty good indication that in a off-year election like this one, it ought to bode well for Democrats. But uh, this is a dead heat, and it's really got a lot of people scratching their head. There's a recent Emerson College poll that just came out that shows that Biden's endorsement is 22% more likely to help Terry McAuliffe and 39% less likely to help Terry McAuliffe. So that endorsement is weighing heavy to Terry and he's uh, enough of a pro that he looks at everything like a campaign manager. And I think he's just talking what's on his mind when he says, wow, Biden's a drag on me and I need a win. (laughs) Was that on purpose, the hot mic, uh, open mic moment, though? uh, When when we start thinking about the motivations, Kristen, I mean, Terry McAuliffe is a seasoned professional politician. You don't say stuff like that on Zoom unless you want someone to hear it, right? 
don't know if it was intentional. You know, I'd say, uh, yes, the numbers are closer than they probably should be at this point. And I'm looking ahead to the midterms. You know, the Democrats control everything right now. So, you know, like I said, I, I don't know how unpopular Biden is. Not that unpopular, but, you know, this is this is generally what happens. But, you know, it is notable that, um, you know, the returned absentee ballot, um, you know, the Dems, if you look at those, the Dems are on pace for victory here. I think they had about 220,000 in Fairfax County alone. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if it was it was intentional. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. I don't know if it matters at this point, but it does expose what could be a truth for a lot of Democrats around the country. Uh, Kristen, would you advise Democratic candidates to, to take a couple steps away from Joe Biden over the next year? Um, I think it's, you know, when I work with a lot of candidates in um, you know, these really tough uh, seats and swing districts, um, tough seats for Democrats to win. And, you know, you got to go district by district and, you know, look at your constituency. I think, you know, the the days of really distancing yourself from the party, it becomes more and more difficult, um, particularly as we're, you know, on pace to pass a lot of these big these big measures. And I think, you know, going back to the discussion we had earlier in the hour um, about these big numbers and whether that's going to play, I think it does. Um, you know, we just did some focus groups where you talk to voters who voted for Trump and then voted for Biden. So these swing voters, independent voters, and the top line numbers didn't necessarily concern them. The fact that they may not, uh, they may be deficit financed actually did, which was very interesting. Um, so I think a lot of things comes, a lot of things come into play. But yes, very concerned um, for the majority in the House for the Democrats uh, in the midterms. Rick Davis, you point out the last time the incumbent did not get crushed in the midterms was 2002, just after 9/11. Terry McAuliffe's first election. Yeah, I mean, can Terry McAuliffe? do a repeat uh, party out of power uh, usually wins in these uh, uh, off year elections. And this is an off year election, not a midterm. So it's even more complicated. Right. And, uh, and yet Terry McAuliffe was the only one since 1970 in Virginia to beat the rap on that. And, and the real question is, can he do it again? Because it's yeah. almost exactly the same sequence for him. Let's talk about the not vote for governor of Virginia, but the vote for this debt ceiling a little bit later on. As I'm reading on the terminal here, they're still counting votes. And we just called our, our buddy Jack Fitzpatrick from Bloomberg government, who's on the Hill right now and has been knocking on doors trying to figure out what's going on. Senator Mitch McConnell is still working to get at least nine other Republicans to vote for this procedural motion to vote for cloture. You need 60 yes votes to advance the debt ceiling legislation. Uh, this is the vote that counts, obviously. Can McConnell find nine more to make this happen tonight, Kristen? Uh, I, I won't speak for my my Republican uh, panelist here, but, you know, I think I kind of view Mitch McConnell in the same light as I view uh, Speaker Pelosi. At the end of the day, they're master legislators and they tend to get what they need from their from their you know caucus or conference. So. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure that, you know, Rick has much uh, a better read on this than I do, um, but I would expect that he would get there. What do you think about this, Rick? Is this as, as good as a done deal? We're having trouble hearing from a lot of people ahead of the vote, but I'm sure Mitch McConnell is not. 
Yeah, look, I mean, this is not an easy sell for Republicans, right? I mean, they were all behind Mitch's uh, earlier strategy of let the Democrats do it on their own. So yeah. uh, now that some are resentful of this offer. Some are resentful and some think that they he kind of walked them out on a limb and, and cut it off. So there's probably a little bit of anxiety in that caucus. But Mitch McConnell is a very powerful force in the Republican Party and even more powerful within the Republican caucus in the Senate. I know I've opposed him many times with John McCain. It is a very lonely place when Mitch McConnell knocks on your door and you have to tell him no. So I think he'll do just fine. Yeah. What does he say, though, when you come back with a no? Uh, usually gives you a very death-like stare, uh, which burns right through to the wall. Uh, and, uh, and, and then he leaves without saying another word, knowing that you're going to want him later and he's not going to be there for you. And as someone, I believe Rick Davis said earlier this week, Kristen, Mitch McConnell decided to let Joe Biden come to him. You need me. I'm not going to chase you. You come to me. Is that paying off now? You know, I mean, you've always got these different dynamics with, you know, different different parties and the leaders of different parties and the and the White House. And I expect that there have been some back channel conversations um, on a staff level. So I don't know, you know, if it's paying off. Um, But, you know, this is just a legislative process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've all got to get there. Senator John Thune told Bloomberg News GOP leaders are still trying to gauge support. So I suppose this could take a little bit of time here, Rick. But assuming the Senate gets it done and and, uh, you're leading me to think that it will, then lawmakers in the House get a phone call, right? They're on 72 hours notice to come back to Washington and get the job done next door. So a lot of people buying airplane tickets in the next day or two. Yeah, this is the best thing for like American and United and Delta, right? I mean, like, get them going back and forth their districts as much as you can. Uh, But they will all want to get this over with. This is this is one of those things, as I think Kristen pointed out, it's a fake issue. Uh, We know we're going to clear this 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 debt ceiling. It would be horrendous for the country in so many different ways. And so they knew there was going to be a solution. They just didn't know it necessarily included them having to come back to D.C. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, considering the reaction they're probably getting from their constituents, maybe leaving town for a couple of days isn't so bad. <laughs> you know where we're going to go for the weekend, honey? How about Washington, D.C.? Congressman Kasten earlier this hour, Kristen, called this a manufactured crisis. You do see it that way? I always do. You know, I've worked with a lot of, you know, if you on the fiscally responsible wing of the Democratic Party. And, um, you know, I've always been kind of turned off as a they with, you know, playing politics with with the debt ceiling. So it's absolutely a manufactured crisis. Well, so what's the answer? Do you have the Treasury Secretary handle it? See, that's you know, that's a conversation. And there's been a bill that's been introduced um, that, you know, to that effect. Um, and I think that you, you know, whether you have the Treasury Secretary or there's some, you have to assume that whoever the Treasury Secretary is, is a responsible actor. So is it just one person? Um, you know, how you get that done. But I, I agree with him that this should not be something that Congress votes on. It is um, something that is used as just a, you know, it's, it's, it's all yeah. politics. But, Rick, if we can't even figure out how to agree upon raising or even suspending the debt ceiling, how in the world will lawmakers agree on an entirely new mechanism authorizing another body to handle this? 
Yeah, I think the premise is wrong. Of course, they're agreed that they're going to raise the debt ceiling. It's just politics and power that gets them to the point where they'll do it. And by the way, I think that's the same thing on this agenda. How much is Biden going to give up? What is it going to cost them? How much is the defense bill going to get get increased in order to get the bill back better passed? I mean, these are all trades. And by the way, this is how it's designed, mm-hmm. right? Nobody has the power to dictate, so they've got to play the game. Is the debt ceiling actually a useful tool, though, in not letting the majority run wild with spending here? Kristen, there is a reason why it was put there to begin with. I, I don't think it should be a tool. And I think that there are other useful tools that, you know, the leadership and both parties can use. And this should be taken out of the equation. You know, I've been I was thinking when Rick was talking about how does Mitch McConnell um, you know, how when you tell him no, what happens? I mean, we, we get it. We called it being called into the the speaker's office being called in the, the principal's office. And it's, <laughs> it's much the same way <laughs> when, you, you? when you talk about the debt limit with her. <laughs> Boy, I bet. Rick Davis, Kristen Hahn, great talk. Really glad that uh, you came by, Kristen. And Rick, this is always your home here on the radio. Bloomberg Sound On. you imagine if Mitch McConnell was your principal in high school? I'll let you think about that. Let that simmer. And I'll see you back here on Monday. Jack and Emily in tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business. From liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford... We don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.